As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back, everybody. This is Arthur Staple. This is No Sleep Till Belma, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Joined, as always, from her journeys on the road, it's AJ Maletsko. How you doing, AJ? I'm good, Arthur. Good to be here and, and getting ready for some more Islanders talk. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got some snow falling outside uh, here in the tri-state, so it's hockey weather. Uh, and the Islanders and the Caps, uh, a little NBC Sports national broadcast for you and Brendan Burke. AJ, that should be a fun one tonight. That will be a fun one. It is, uh, yeah, snow falling, it makes it hockey weather. It does not, however, make it commuting weather for somebody that <laughs> drives in and out for these games. But luckily, I made it in before before the heavy stuff came down. Well, that's good. That's good. We'll, we'll start the show by looking back first to uh, a couple games last week, uh, with, both with the Devils. Very different uh, results, kind of, uh, kind of similar, not exactly the same as the first two games against the Rangers. Uh, where the Islanders really looked great in the game uh, Thursday night at the Coliseum, a 4-1 win where they really dominated kind of from start to finish. It was a tighter game, I think, through the second period, but uh, a couple goals in the first, a couple power play goals in the third. And then Sunday uh, over in New Jersey, starting this five-game road trip that they're on right now, not as good a performance. And coincidentally, uh, Ilya Sorokin was in there. Unfortunate for him that uh, the Islanders still haven't scored a goal in front of him, which is probably not what he was looking for when he came over after his uh, his championship run in the KHL. Um, but a 2 nothing loss where um, they just didn't generate enough. And I think, uh, you know, you kind of saw the extremes. And I think this was a little bit more like how the season's going to go. I think the the first two games against the Rangers looked a little disjointed, like teams that hadn't played preseason games and really hadn't had much of a camp. But for these two, AJ, did you kind of see the best of what the Islanders can be in terms of offense and and flow and generating chances and then kind of where they go a little bit astray when they can't uh, get inside and, and establish position and establish any zone time? You know, yeah, and I, I thought you look at their their two game series against the Rangers to start the season. They had that one off for with Boston in the middle, and then the two game series. There are going to be a lot of two game series this this season. Um, I know the Central Division is doing almost all of them, if not all of them, um, and the Eastern Division is a little more close geographically, so they can do those one off games. Um, but it, be, playing a team back to back 
certainly uh, sort of exposes different things, right? And, and it it gives different challenges. And so if you play really well in game one, as the Islanders did in the game one of the season against the Rangers and then game one against the Devils, the other team adjusts, obviously. And so they and they can adjust in real time as they go, as opposed to, okay, we're going to see that team in a month or two months or whatever it may be. And I've got other opponents in between I have to prepare for. I've got a day. I'm not seeing anybody else. So I'm going to make my adjustments. Uh, and then if you're winning, whether it's 4-1 or, you know, whatever it is for the Islanders it was, why would you fix something if why fix it if it ain't broke? Right. Mm -hmm. So obviously you still have to make adjustments and no matter how much you win, there's, it's never perfect. So you're always looking to tweak things. And Barry Trotz certainly falls under that category of a coach that's constantly looking to make things better and, and tinker as, as I would say, um, to me, I thought that the, the devil series was less drastic in that, uh, then the Rangers series, the Rangers series game one, they were, the Islanders were awesome. And then they were terrible two nights yeah. later. And I thought the devil series was a little less, the pendulum swing was a little less, um, extreme. Um, to me, the second game was more, um, it was just more, there's no urgency. It was a little lackluster. There was a lot of good in it too. And especially how the game ended, they picked it up a little bit. Um, your point about Sorokin is such an interesting one to me because two starts, two losses, much better in the second game. There's, I think everybody would agree to that. And I, I actually got a chance to ask Barry about that during our Zoom availability. And he, he said that he's very happy with the way that he's played. He said, you know, a reminder basically about the different styles of KHL versus NHL. And Arthur, you and I have talked about that. But he said the biggest difference isn't the angles or any of that stuff. But he said it's this, the pace on a smaller ice surface that things happen quicker. So he's got to adjust to that pace. Um, what I've seen of Sorokin, though, he's quick. He can move quickly. He's an athletic goalie, and he can move east-west very quickly. Uh, rebound control was an issue um, from yeah. Barry Trotz's perspective, for sure. Um, but one thing that I asked Trotz about was, at what point does it become a mental challenge for the team in that you have two flat games, no big deal, that happens. But you have two flat games, the two games that this kid plays – one point, do you start gripping your stick a little too tightly and you get a little tense and do you want to play differently and it becomes sort of a tangible thing or becomes a mental block? He he wouldn't bite on that and I'm not surprised, um, but he said he didn't think it was a mental thing at all. That That's just something that I think about as a team. You want to support your role. You want to win in front of him and and they've had they've had two mediocre, one bad game and one mediocre game in front of him. And I think that's something they're going to have to uh, remedy. Yeah, I, I thought... Uh... You know, like you said, the second one against the Devils was uh, was a, a bad rebound, and I think you saw um, maybe that's where the the it's not even communication; it's the expectation of who's playing behind you. I think the slow reactions of a couple guys. I think it was Nick Letty. Uh, you know, Pavel Zaka kind of got past him for that rebound, and I think Nick Letty doesn't look behind him because when he when Semyon Varlamov's there, that puck gets swallowed up, especially this year because of the way Semyon Varlamov is playing and. So, you know, you can, people can, were kind of screaming as usual, like, hey, that was Nick Letty's guy. It's just like, if you have an expectation that your goalie in the NHL is going to make a save and cover it, which is what you're supposed to do on a long range, unscreened shot like that, and then it doesn't happen. It's, that's, I don't know if you call it a breakdown or just an expectation uh, mismatch, but, um, but that's, you know, that, that's a situation that I think, shows the disparity between where both of those goalies are right now and where the their teammates' heads are right now. And I think you brought up an interesting point too about the 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 two game series and we've got another one starting tonight with Washington and then actual back to backs over the weekend in Philly. Um that second game, after you play the first game as well as the Islanders did in both of those games against the Rangers and the Devils, 
how how does even the best motivating coach, which Trotz is up there, how do you get guys to be? How do you convince guys that there's more that they need to give? I mean, the Islanders have shown it that they won a lot of playoff series in the summer um, while they were up and kind of took advantage of teams playing even better from game to game. But in the regular season, is it just a different mentality where you have to psych yourself up every day and say, this is different, this is playoff hockey, and we have to act like it every night? Yeah, and I think that you take somebody, you say it's a motivating coach like Barry Trotz. I mean, those guys want to run through a wall for him, right? And he's not a yay, rah, rah, like a Rod Brindamore type of guy who actually will be leading the charge through the wall. But Barry Trotz has earned so much respect throughout the league. Everybody who's played for him that I've ever talked to has um, has so much respect. That's the word that I, I can't even think of a, a synonym for that. They just adore him. And he's he's taught players so much. Um, so he certainly can motivate them. Um, the question is, he shouldn't have to motivate them in a 56-game season, right? And he has said that countless times to us um, through the last couple of weeks is that every night is a playoff-style hockey. Every game is virtually a four-point game because you're playing within your division, right? And so, you know, having a bad game five, or, you know, I don't even want to say a bad game five because there were certainly some good things when they played the Devils the other night, but I, I, not a satisfa- it's not a satisfying game against the Devils in their recent outing. In a game five, normally, you would just sort of shrug it off and it's no big deal. It's 82 games. You, it's a long haul in a regular season. 56 games is different. And when you do have these back-to-back scenarios and when you have these eight-game series against an opponent or your divisional rivals, every game becomes important from a, a mental swing, right? So you you gain confidence from playing well. And and that's what was interesting in that in both of these back-to-back, as hard as it is to beat a team twice, it's also, you know, you get you gain some confidence too and you should get a little energy from that. I mean, it's when you're playing well, things happen more easily. It's just the way it is as an athlete. It's when things are going well, they tend to continue to go well. And when they're not going well, it's really hard to, to right the ship. Um, so, you know, I think that for these guys right now, Barry Trotz is the right guy to lead them and they gotta, they gotta figure out a way to create some offense. I think that's the, that's one of the biggest challenge and maybe concern for us as Islanders fans is, you know, there's a lot of good out there. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to talk about Noah Dobson. It's like, he is, he's done a lot of good things. Um, Varlamov started out, I mean, he's been unbelievable. Um, so there is, there are certainly some things to celebrate, but how do they get those big guns, especially those top two lines? How do they get them generating offense, whether it's five on five, ideally, or also get their power play geared up? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
AJ mentioned offense uh, and the lack thereof, and and we'll have to dive into that, considering that they're playing two opponents that they faced in the playoffs last year, Washington and Philly this week in these next four games, uh, two teams that know how to clamp down. And I think certainly um, Washington with the guys that they're missing in COVID protocol, Alex Ovechkin, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Dmitry Orlov, Ilya Samsonov, they're not going to play a wide open game tonight. Maybe even Tom Wilson, but we'll see about that one. Um, so I think, you know, and that was really the thing that Barry talked about after the loss against Jersey was was just not generating enough and, and not making it difficult enough. And the Devils did a good job keeping them to the outside, doing what the Islanders love to do. Uh, and really not until kind of the back half of the second period, early in the third, when they were down a couple goals, did the Islanders finally start to generate some chances. Now, Anthony Beauvillier was day-to-day with a lower body injury. Uh, seems like he'll be a game-time decision, possibly out. How do the Islanders generate offense with the guys that they have, or maybe some of the taxi squad guys that they have, and then you're missing one of your top six pieces? Yeah, that's that's going to be the that's where Barry Trotz is going to earn his money, right? I mean, how does he <laughs> how does he motivate these guys? How does he how does he tweak the lines, tinker with some things? Some well, I don't think he needs to change much of their systems because what he's done has worked for them and they don't need to score four five, six goals, but they need to score two, maybe three, ideally four um, and, and higher than that. But um, you know, I think that they, they need to figure out how to score the fact that the two games that um, Sorokin played, they haven't been able to score. And, you know, a quick note on that, we, we already talked about him, but it, you know, I talked about the mental side of it. it. It reminds me a little bit of when Jordan Binnington took over the St. Louis blues two years ago, the team played differently in front of him. They played a different game and for who knows why, and they didn't even know why that, that's what I worry about with this team. Are they going to start playing differently? And, you know, you talked about Varlamov and how well he's playing. You have to earn that respect from the team, right? So sometimes a new goalie can come in, and I just mentioned Bennington. But Sorokin does have to earn that, whether it's through practice or whether coming up with a big save in game. Uh, you know, I expect that we're going to see Varlamov um, in the, this first game against Washington. Um, so maybe that'll give the team some confidence defensively. Maybe it'll free him up a little bit. And maybe the defense can can jump in the play a little bit more and, and generate some offense from the back end, right? So if you have somebody like a Noah Dobson or a Nick Letty um, or, or Pelican Pollock, if you have any of them with that clean first pass to exit the zone and they don't, and the forwards aren't exhausting themselves in the defensive zone, if you can do that clean exit and if they can have that transition game smooth through the neutral zone, then they get into the offensive zone quicker. They're, they're a little sharper and they can generate the offense. You know, when we were talking to Barry about generating offense, he said, we have the pieces. And he started specifically talking about the power play. He said, we have everybody where we want them to be. It's just a matter of picking up the pace pace out there. And uh, and I think that that's going to be the biggest thing for them. And I think those top two lines. Now, I'll give this uh, Nelson line a little bit of a break if Bavillier is, in fact, out for a game or two or longer. Um, I think when you start mixing up the pieces, things go a little haywire. Um, but that Barzell line, I mean, Everly, Lee, they've got to get on the board. You need your big guys to show up, right? And right now, beginning of the season, getting the ship going in the right direction, you need them to show up. And Barzell's been, has had some great games in these first five outings. And he's been, uh, he's been invisible in some other parts of the games as well. So he needs to figure out that consistency. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like the two games that they haven't scored, uh, and even though game against the Bruins, where they kind of got pushed out of their game a little bit early until they worked their way back in, um, it's been if Barzal's not going and really nothing's happening. And that, that you know, Islander fans who go back 10 or so years can certainly remember the the roster composition of the early 2010s Islanders when it was 
everybody on every team could focus on John Tavares because there was no chance anybody else on their roster was going to be able to kind of carry a game the way that the way that Tavares could. And you don't really want to go back to that, especially because Trotz and Lula Amarillo have built a team that's a, a capital T team that they want. Every, everybody, everybody's contributing different contributors every night. You can't rely on one guy. And Barzell has been really good. And I thought even in the third period against New Jersey, he was really good. And in the two wins, he's been by far their best player. And that line has really generated a lot five on five. Um, you know, even before Beauvillier's injury, that uh, that Nelson line, I don't think has been as effective as you certainly saw it through all of last season and definitely not in the playoffs. And Beauvillier himself, I think he was at, um, you know, maybe four shots on goal through four games, which you know, this is a big year for Anthony Beauvillier, and if he's if he's out for a little bit with this lower body injury, that's obviously unfortunate. But even before that, it just didn't seem like they were they were as hard charging and as in sync as they'd been uh, when they hit kind of hit the ice running in the in the summer. And that's obviously going to slow them down. And even you know the fourth line, I think, uh, has had a couple good moments. They haven't been on the ice for any goals against. I don't think at five on five. But again, you know, that line thrived a couple of years ago when Casey Zizekas was a 20-goal scorer by being really opportunistic. They would play against other teams' top lines, convert chances into goals because they were really good chances when they would turn pucks over. Um, and they're just not – there just seems to be something missing from all the, the lines outside of Barzal and, and makes it look even more sluggish than it is. I think the Islanders certainly are a team that plays at a certain pace when they're winning and when they're losing, it's hard to it's hard to ramp that pace up. So – Having said all that, that there's all these problems, they're still three and two, and they've got a couple of young guys waiting in the wings. Kiefer Bellows came out of the lineup against New Jersey. Michael Dalcall went in. Uh, if Beauvillier's out, I would think that Kiefer Bellows goes in on that line. You've got Oliver Wallstrom who hasn't made his debut. Do you think that those guys can solve some of the problems? And you know, we've seen what Barry Trotz how he wants to handle these young guys, especially these young forwards who are who are very skilled. He wants them to be more complete players. Can you develop into being a more complete player at eight or nine minutes a night? Uh, you know, I think that that's going to be really interesting to see how Trotz utilizes some of those young players, right? Because I think back in the de- years ago, uh, old school hockey, old time hockey, I think that you, know, you used to come into a team and you sort of work your way up the lineup. Now you're sort of groomed as a, you're identified early on as whether you're a top six forward or a bottom six forward, right? And and you sort of come in and out of the lineup based on that. Uh, obviously, there's exceptions to that. Um, you know, so looking at that specifically, even back to what you're saying about the four, the depth of the team and from Barzell's line down to Nelson, down to Pajot, down to Sezikis, I think one of the biggest challenges is securing that third line center with Pajot gave so many people some sort of relief or satisfaction or confidence, maybe just having those four great centers down the middle. The problem is finding his wings, right? And there's been a revolving door. And I think you and I spoke about that last week or two weeks ago, that finding who the wings are going to be for Pajot. Now he plays the same way, no matter what. So I'm not sure if you asked him, he would definitely say it doesn't matter to him, but it's difficult to create chemistry when that happens. And then when you've got those guys that are maybe not playing that many minutes, that you have Clutterbuck jumping up and filling in here and there. Then Bovilio goes down and goes injured. And then you have Del Cole jumping in his first, in his season debut from that third line to the second line. So it's, I think it's been hard for Trotz to really lock in. And part of it is that third line. He's trying to figure out who fits there, right? And there is that Johnston and Martin in the lineup on the same night. And uh, Trotz is always, last year, I remember having a long conversation with him about Ross Johnston. And he said, you know, he's considered this big, 
uh, physical type, but he really has worked hard on his skill and he has a lot of skill that people don't appreciate. And he has, he's put in his time and he's earned this shot. I, I will be curious to see. I do expect at some point we're going to see Leo Komarov. We haven't seen him. And, you know, when you've got the the penalty kill situation, if, if, if Bovillier is in fact out. Um, so to answer the the final question of what you were talking about, like, how do you, how do you get these guys, um, moving in the same direction. How do you get them all all buying in? I guess it's it's um, some of it is that intangible, right? You said t- you mentioned it. two years ago, Sezikis line. Casey had had twenty goals, and they were you watch them, and you could just feel the energy. I haven't felt that energy from them, and maybe it's because who knows? They've got had some injuries last year. They were they had a really tough year injury wise. Um, maybe they're trying to re- rekindle some of that magic. Maybe it's because of the shifting around and the different lines. Um, so I think that for them right now, they they will be looking to their leadership, right? And whether you're talking about on the ice. Matt Barzell playing at the level that he's really did shoot himself out of a cannon in that game one against the Rangers, whether you're looking at the captain or the veteran leadership out there that they need to step up. I mean, Josh Bailey, he's got to start putting up uh, goals. I think uh, Jordan Eberle had a couple the other night and that's, that's great. Those guys need to start chipping in and they will. I mean, we're only five games into the season. I think those guys, once they start getting comfortable and once some of those bounces go their way, um, then I think things will, will start to right. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. So in our last segment, we'll uh, and didn't put out a call for any questions on Twitter. We've done plenty of mailbags uh, on the podcast, but I do always get questions, or sometimes they're in the form of shouts from Islander fans, especially when things aren't going well. So um, I just kind of gathered up a couple of that were, I, I guess, trending in my mentions from the last week or so. Uh, and the main one you touched on, AJ uh, Ross Johnston, his skill has improved, that's for sure, but in games like we've seen when they need goals, it's not, that's not really his main forte. And he's a guy who plays eight or nine minutes a night. Now with him on the third line and Matt Martin on the fourth line, do you feel like there's a little bit of redundancy there and that that's an opera, that's a spot maybe whether it's Dal Collin Wallstrom on the third line, Dal Collin Bellows, if Bovillier is healthy, where you don't need to necessarily be committed to playing Ross Johnston every night. And you, we also touched on a little bit. Tom Wilson might be in the lineup tonight. If he's not tonight, he'll definitely be in there on Thursday. You want a guy like Johnson in there to to kind of answer his the deterrent factor that Tom Wilson brings. So you have your own deterrent factor in Ross Johnson. It still it still makes a difference in coaches' minds. Um, but when they're struggling to score goals, do you think that's kind of an obvious spot where they can make a little bit of a tweak and see if there's something different there? I do think that that is a tweak they can make. And if you need scoring, I mean, that's Bellows and Wallstrom. They are goal scorers, right? You put them in and whether you put them both in, because if, if Bovillier is in fact out, um, whether you put one of them in uh, with Adele Cole, um, you know, I, I think that 
giving those guys the opportunities to get out there and score some goals. And, and you know, even though they're, they would be playing theoretically, if we we're saying Bovillier is in fact in and is playing on the second line and either uh, Wallstrom or Bellows uh, rotates into that third line, if, if they're playing on the third line, they're still playing with JG Pajot, who is a goal scorer himself, right? He plays all situations. He plays penalty kill. He plays power play, plays five on five. So maybe he's not considered a pure goal scorer, but he is a complete player. Um, so he can set got those guys up and put them in a position where they can show off their shot release, right? I mean, that's they they both, both of those guys uh, have put some pucks in the net. So yeah, I think that I, I think we'll see Ross Johnston rotate out of the lineup, but you do bring up a very interesting question with Tom Wilson, who was injured in the, their first game against uh, Buffalo last week. He missed a game. He did skate in the morning skate before tonight's game. Um, he is game time decision. Barry Trotz believes he will be in. And of course, Barry Trotz knows him very well, has a tremendous amount of respect for him and, and loves him. Um, so, you know, and by the way, he is a perfect example of somebody who did work his way up the lineup. He was a fourth line grinder, fighter, physical presence, and he became a first line guy for that cup winning team. Um, so, you know, that's, I think that that's where Trotz will play his chess games and try to figure out whether he needs the heavy in Ross Johnson. But of course he does have Matt Martin out there and he has Matt Martin who can go out and throw some big hits and fight if he needs to fight. So I, I think it's an opportunity to tweak the lines and give one of the young guys a chance, if not both of them. Yes, I don't I don't have any insight on whether Trotz will do that, but I think it's a good opportunity to do so. Yeah, and you know, I do get a lot of questions from fans about both those guys. You know, Wallstrom and Bellows got a lot of praise from from Trotz in the in the during the short training camp, and that doesn't always translate directly into ice time and opportunities because it's a slow process, um, even though there's no such thing as a slow process, I think, in the in the world of fans or in the world of social media these days. Um, so I, I think you'd be hard pressed to see them both on the third line, uh, given the opportunity with Pajot. I, you know, it's still uh, it's still essentially the fourth line in terms of five on five usage. It never will change, really. Um, you know, that's they have Pajot. Pajot's kind of like the the utility guy who can play four or five different positions in baseball. Like he's going to be taking faceoffs and stubbing in on on different lines uh, for defensive zone draws and going in there for Matt Martin late in periods and late in games. So they, they're essentially a 10 forward team right now in terms of regular usage or even nine forwards. So I don't think you're going to see both young guys in there on the wings. But having said that, you know, just kind of going back through some of Bellow's shifts from when he played the first four games, not really being put in a position to use his strengths, which is his shot, which is a heavy shot, uh, his offensive instincts. I think he had seven shot attempts in those four games and maybe two shots on net. It's tough to get in a rhythm. And uh, and I think maybe there's a gap between throwing them out there for every shift, 18 minutes a night, and letting them go do what they do and forget about the structure, and then making sure the structure is everything. And I'm not a coach. I have no experience at, compared to Barry's 1,700-plus games, so we all defer to him. But I am interested to see if if they have another low scoring, low chance game tonight. Whether that forces him in this short schedule to try to open things up, which is not necessarily in his nature as a coach. But uh, but I think what you do normally might have to be uh, your 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 
your thought process about these things might have to be shortened and, and compacted and changed a little bit because of the schedule. So, um, well, and I also think that the players need to be on a shorter leash because of that. I mean, it's a yeah. short season. It's a sh- there's there's not a lot of practice time uh, for them. And and one quick comment I was going to make about Barry Trotz. One thing that I love that he said to me in the past is when they play south of the red line, it's his structure, right? So he's considered this very systematic, structured coaches. And I think some of the young guys coming in may be intimidated by that. But he's always said, offensively, be creative, go do your thing. So once that those younger guys, uh, Bellows, Wallstrom, whomever comes in, once they figure that out and get the confidence to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to find my offensive instincts and I'm going to be able to do this, then maybe they can get to their game a little bit. And it'd just be interesting to see when, when they figure that out. And that's, you know, it's tough. It's the best league in the world. Yeah. And I've also been asked lots of questions about Noah Dobson and we touched on him a little bit before um the last two if there was anything really good about the last two periods of the game on sunday against the devils it was that noah dobson and it it was basically a four defense rotation it was pelican pollock and then nick letty and noah dobson to generate some offense it was the clear purpose but also as trot said today it was it was you know giving extra ice time to a, a young guy who was really feeling it and kind of to the point of the young forwards if they get an opportunity to really feel it maybe they'll get more ice time but I think with Dobson, it's it's a little bit more integral to what the Islanders do because they only have six real defensemen right now, and um, you know he's playing a regular shift. Whether he has a, a terrible game like he did uh, against the Rangers uh, in the second game, or whether he has a great game, uh, and his last two games I think have been closer to great, uh, really good, I guess you'd say. Um, but he was out there, I think, twenty two minutes, and seventeen of that was in the last two periods, and he was making good plays. You know, I think uh, a couple things kind of came to mind. First, it's that when they lost Devon Taves, in addition to losing a guy who can skate really well and and has an off has a head for the offensive side of the game, he was their defenseman who was the best at keeping pucks alive in the zone, whether it was on the power play or just in general at the top of the umbrella six on five. Um, and that's a skill that I think is very underrated in the NHL to be able to like, whether it's catching a puck out of the air and putting it down or just being able to keep pucks either along the wall, whatever. It's hard to do because you don't see a lot of defensemen that are able to do it. And Noah Dobson is really good at it too. And I thought he made a couple of passes too. He had one for Jordan Eberle, kind of a diagonal look where Eberle popped open in the high slot. And uh, it was a good shot. Probably could have been a better chance because Eberle may not have seen that he had so much room. But that kind of vision for that pass is also pretty unique on this defensive group. So seeing Dobson have a game like that tells me there's uh, there's going to be a lot more nights than not where he is going to get those kinds of opportunities when they need a goal. And what a big deal that is for a team that doesn't score very much. And like you said, you, you need to generate from the back end sometimes, and they haven't gotten a goal yet from any of their defensemen. But um, Dobson has uh, shown me these last two games that he's the real deal and he's going to play a lot more. Well, yeah, and I think that his playing his playing time is reflecting that and and the expectation, right? They have their defensive shutdown in Pelican and Pollock, and I'm not saying that they're not going to create offense as well. They, they can, especially with Pollock's uh, big blast and when you put him on that release position for the power play. Um, Letty is a great puck transporter. He's a beautiful skater. Uh, but then now you have Dobson and you add a little creativity and you add skills and he's got great hands. And I think that you know, you, you, whether you have him up there on the top of the power play and he's creating the way he's seeing it. And you mentioned his vision, how he can see, see people. It's 
part of that, part of what comes into his growth is going to be his confidence. So when he can trust his vision and can, and, you know, last year, the fact that he came in um, as a young kid, I mean, he just turned 21, I think a week or two ago. Um, So last year he comes in as a 19 year old, he lives with Dennis Seidenberg. He sits next to Johnny Boychuk. You know, he does, he's, he's sort of paired with all these mentors this year. He's paired as a partner with Andy Green. So he's learning the way he's learning the ropes, um, but he's clearly getting comfortable with his role. And, and because of the way the defensive core is, he's not rotating in and out. So he's not looking over his shoulder thinking, Oh, if I screw up right now, I'm going to sit, right. He's able to spread his wings a little bit and he's able to have a bad game like he did again, the second game against the Rangers. Now, granted, I I know the whole team had a bad game, um, but he doesn't have to worry about it. Right. And so, you know, we, he's going to, he is going to be uh, tremendous for them offensively. Uh, with the way he sets up, I think eventually he's going to get some goals of his own. Um, but I, I'm also I am impressed with him defensively, and he's been blocking shots. And part of that, he's, he's he has been playing with Andy Green. Obviously, he, he ended up being paired with Nick Letty uh, in that last game, going down the stretch. But overall, I think that he is he's sort of showing why Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz took a chance on him last year. And and he was sort of a part of the non-existent taxi squad last year, if you will, being a part of the team, but not really playing a whole lot until there were some injuries. Um, so I, I like watching him because I also, I get, you could almost see his confidence growing every time he hits the ice and every time he's tapped on the shoulder to take another shift at whatever it may be, whatever situation it may be, you can see him sort of exhaling and, and realizing that Barry Trotz trusts him in this situation. So he might as well trust himself. Yeah. I thought, I thought to me, you know, the, the interplay with Barzal's line and especially with Barzal, Barzal is such a gifted guy, but I assume that it's very difficult to really get a good rhythm going with him because you don't know what he's going to do. And it felt like the way that they were able to generate a lot of those chances in the third period against the Devils, they didn't score, obviously, so grain of salt. But uh, but I think Dobson is figuring out what Barzal is all about in the offensive zone. And that, you know, being able to move a little bit, that's going to make him, uh, you know, the the stagnation, I think, sons among some of their D, the this, this stationary low to high stuff that they do, that's uh, that seems a little predictable at times. Having a guy like Dobson who knows how to move his feet around the zone and is is smart enough and aware enough, uh, I think is gonna is gonna be a, another way that they can they can push the pace and and put the pressure on some teams. So um, yeah, I think if there's anything good to come from that game on Sunday, that was probably it. And I and I think that if you look at Barzell this year, even just through five games, he's giving up the puck a little bit more, which is what would the expectations from Barry Trotz give the puck up, get open, and get it back. Right? Don't he used to carry the puck? We all love watching the puck on his stick. Don't get me wrong; he is a magician with his when his feet are going, his edges are nuts, and he's obviously got great stick skills. Um, but it's more effective when he uses his teammates, and so if he can utilize somebody like Noah Dobson. And you're right, Noah, that's that's an intimidating, sometimes the best players are the hardest to play with. A, because the expectation is there. And then you take somebody like Matt Barzell, who's so shifty. You, I mean, you can sit there and watch him and you have, I, mean, I wonder half the time if he knows what he's going to do, right? <laughs> I mean, he just sees a, it sees an opening and in a split second he's there just because of the way he's able to control his edges. So I think that's going to be interesting. Two young guys, uh, bright future for the Islanders, but depending on how they're, how that chemistry develops five on five and, and of course for special teams as well. All right. I think we're about done for this week. Thanks, AJ. Uh, hope you have a good telecast tonight uh, going out to the the world at large, not just the usual hardcore Islander fans. So uh, I hope they're not going to be too mad at you for playing it a little bit straighter than usual. <laughs> 
But uh, uh, I was going to say that uh, Islanders fans that are listening, yes, it is a down-the-middle broadcast. I've had to do a lot more studying of the Caps because I know the Islanders so well, but we will be broadcasting the game uh, down the middle. But we'll see what happens. All right. We'll be back again next week, everybody. Thanks for listening to No Sleep Till Belmont. If you could do us a huge favor, subscribe to our podcasts, leave a rating or review. It really helps us out. And if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, you can do that for $3.99 a month by visiting theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont. Catch you next week.